Welcome to Intimacy Play, a podcast by Pleasy Play. We host open discussions with world-leading experts on couples, sex, and intimacy, so you can build a more exciting, fun, and intimate relationship. I'm your host, Michaela Silva. Hi, everyone. So today we have an awesome guest with us. Her name is Lena Bembe. So Lena is a porn performer and director. She's a TEDx speaker, an educator at the Sex School Hub, and a writer for Clue, which is a science-backed period tracker. Hello, Lena. How are you? I'm good. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. So tell us how this all started. How and why did you start working in the sexual industry? I don't know. I, th I don't think there's much story to it. I moved to Berlin a number of years ago, and I found out that here in Berlin, there were like certain spaces that were uh, open to pornography of kinds that were uh, very different to the usual things that I could find on the internet, you know? So I don't, I don't know, like some one day, like something inside of me told me, oh, maybe I could be part of all of this. And, and it was just very easy me, being in Berlin and being able to reach out to people, to meet in person, to be able to find out how they work and to think for myself, okay, will this be something that I could do? Yes or no. And uh, it turned out that it could. And yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> That's so interesting. Can you tell us, you know, the ins and outs of being a porn performer, you know, the good, the bad, and what makes you still be in that industry that sometimes is badly viewed? And I think you bring such a fresh view to it and such a positive one. Thank you. Well, I think that's just like, to a relative extent, I think that uh, the importance like many other jobs, you know, Uh, there are things that are good about it. There are things that are not good about it. There are things that definitely need to change, but there are other things that are really worth the, the effort of doing it. I think the, the toughest part about doing this is the degree of uh, stigma or the amount of like cliches that are around this kind of industry that make it really difficult for people who want to make a living out of this, who make it like all the time questions of uh, censorship make it really difficult for people like us to make a living out of it and could also put obstacles to having proper conversations about the industry and hopefully demystifying it and so so i think those are like the most uh difficult bits of what we do and i think i mean in general i do like what i do a lot i think that personally it has brought me lots of uh satisfactions it ha i do have I, i i am convinced that this is something that i really like to do but it's definitely not not easy oh i understand and the way that you were saying that you know there's a lot of issues surrounding this industry although it is just a job like any other job can you tell us how the fact that people you know view this as something wrong has to do with sex education. I know you have a very strong leader role in talking about sex education, helping, you know, shape the new generation and the millennials as well in sex, sex education. So can you tell us a little bit about how the sex education that you had shaped you and maybe what has changed uh, in between that? Well, I think my sex education I think it's a typical story of the inadequate sex education, you know, that uh, you receive at early ages. It's the typical thing that you learn at school, you know, when a sex education, it's all about pregnancies, horrible STDs, images, 
and all like this uh, excessively heter heteronormative bias, you know, and where you are left with lots of questions, where you learn certain things, but then you realize that that have nothing to do with the kind of like questions that you have about yourself or how your life goes or what kind of like things are going on in your life, you know? So, I mean, in many ways, like the kind of sex education that I received in my early years, like had nothing to do with the kind of like, uh, uh, with my life at the moment and my life in my adult years. And uh, I think that when you, um, do pornography or other kinds of sex work you are like very much like facing on these issues about sex sexuality and sometimes even relationships and in so many ways you find out that you can actually have like lots of insights about these topics of course not from a certified sex educator perspective but there's definitely a lot that you learn uh, through pornography because you're forced to properly learn about things like um, sexual health, about how to deal with people, about how to communicate about the importance of boundaries and all these things are really are really important and, and then they, all of these are like certain skills that you can hardly ever um, learn in at least in your early years of sex education or what people usually know as sex education. Completely. And, and I agree. So you touched on specific points, you know, saying that the education that is given in schools primarily is weak and it focuses on pregnancy and on the bad things and not on learning about yourself, your partner and what you can do to have pleasure. So what do you think has changed from your times to now? And what would you like to change? I think that at this point, because of the, the internet, like, helps a lot in putting like certain tools out there you know for getting information that it's missing sometimes that it's missing either from family environments or from school environments and so on so i'm really happy to see that uh, the internet it's like more and more welcoming place to find uh, information about sex sexuality and sex education that it's also age appropriate you know i think there's a number of platforms that are like focused on adolescent groups you know and there are also other platforms that are more like focused uh, towards uh, adults you know which it's also something funny we hardly ever think about the fact that adults also need sex education you know i think from my perspective because i am first and foremost a, a porn performer for me i i would like for people to see um to change their minds about what pornography is to have like more information at hand about the things that pornography is the things that pornography isn't the things that need definitely to change within pornography but also all like these problems that are within porn to be seen from a realistic perspective and not like from this kind of like uh, myths and like scare tactics and all like this um uh, shame and taboo halo you know, with, with which pornography is seen. Can you elaborate on that? So what is pornography and how should it be viewed in your opinion? Well, I think that pornography first and foremost should, shouldn't be seen from this kind of like perspective of misinformation that there is around. And especially with the angle of sex education, people just like say, oh, like like kids and young people learn first from pornography. So pornography is sex, it's the sex education of our children and so on. And because of this recent porn, it's not sex education. And because of this recent porn, it's just bad, you know? And 
and I think it's just like throwing like this sort of like um, preconceptions about porn that it is uh, that it's that it's denigrating, you know, that it's sexist, that it's uh, racist, that people who get into porn are somehow some sort of like uh, mentally ill deviants with lots of traumas, you know, that everyone is dodging within this industry and so on. So I think that people should just have. First of all, people should be able to decide for themselves whether pornography is not a good thing. It's not bring something to their lives or not, because it's also very valid not to like porn. But people should, I think that they just need to have like more information about what this industry really is and to make their own, make their own minds about it, but without like throwing all this bunch of prejudices about it uh, without pulling further like the shame about sex and and sexual relationships because in so many ways just like shaming porn it's an indirect way of also shaming sex you know because at the end of the day a lot of pornography is explicit depictions of uh, sex and sexuality so yeah I guess just that shaming it like vilifying it or just like pointing at it as, as, as a scapegoat doesn't doesn't bring anything to anyone But are you in general happy with the porn that is available for the majority of people? Or do you think that, you know, there is a lot of better porn, but people just need to pay for the content, which is, you know, completely justified. You pay for Netflix like you pay for anything else. So why shouldn't you pay for good porn? Do you think that it's a matter of paying and having a good output? Or do you think that all porn is good as long as you'd see it in the right perspective? I think that in so many ways, I... More than, I think it's more fruitful to think rather than like, it's like certain porn, good or bad. I think that first and foremost, we, we should be able to understand that porn is a reflection of our society, you know? So in so many ways, like, I mean, there are many things that could be fruitful uh, within pornography that we could bring in our lives, but at the same time, like the things that are wrong within certain pornographic narratives, they're also um, a product of what we are as a, as a society. Like there, our society is racist. There's racist porn. Our society, it's pretty much misogynistic. There is misogynistic porn and so on and so forth. So I think that it's not only like the porn industry to blame for whatever products or whatever narratives should not be there. I think that porn doesn't exist in a vacuum. It is informed by the people who consume it as well. And I think it's also, there are like certain, and porn in so many ways is also um, a number of fantasies, you know? So it's also like this idea that people also should be able to understand like this dimension of fantasy, you know? And also come to terms with the shame that comes with certain fantasies. Because let's say, for example, someone watches like, some kinds of like hardcore pornography one may think like oh my god this is like a really bad kind of porn because look at all this violence look at this look at that but then you don't know for example if that kind of if that specific kind of scene under what terms it was made you know because it could have been the case that it was done ethically that everyone consented about what they were doing that everyone is properly informed and has the adequate skills to do that And if that informs like very specific fantasies that 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 precisely because there are fantasies that doesn't mean that they're going to become reality. I do not see anything that could be wrong with that, you know, 
And it can, for example, be the case that someone sees like this kind of like new pornography that people love to label as ethical or feminist. And you see that it's more like beautifully done, you know, glossy images and everything. And every everything looks like beautiful and uh, respectful and so on and so forth. But then what if that kind of work was made under conditions that were inadequate for the people involved in it? So again, like where is the good, where is the bad, you know? Of course, there are certain things about about the industry that definitely need to change. I think there are many um, mechanisms uh, within who controls like what the most part of what's available there. Uh, questions about piracy are super important. Questions about like consent and also questions also about what informing yourself about what, about what the industry is so that if so that you as a worker also are more protected, you know? So I think that there is definitely a lot that needs to change, you know, not everything is fair, but I think that um, we do ourselves a favor by thinking about what exact points need to change within the industry or should be good, uh, whether it is from a consumer perspective than a producer uh, perspective. I love the comparison that you made and it for me, it makes it so clear, which is there's offer and there's demand. So there's if society is misogynistic or racist, obviously there's going to be a demand for that and there's going to be somebody that's going to offer it, which is not necessarily the fault of that industry. It's the fault of society as a whole. Thank you. That was that was a very interesting comparison and I, mm -hmm. and I completely agree with that view because in Thank all you. industries and everything in life, there are perspectives which we don't agree, but that doesn't mean that the industry itself is, is a bad one. So yes, I think that's eye-opening. I hope everybody listens to that very carefully before, you know, start starting to shame the industry and people who are in the industry. And um, you were talking about, you know, that porn can be also beneficial. How do you think that porn can be transformed into a more educational tool or should it be? I think that I would say more than true. I think, I think that porn can be educational. I think that if people, if like porn producers and directors decide that they just want to focus on doing fantasies and things that have perhaps little to no connection to reality, that's perfectly fine. And I think that people who also put their minds into doing work that can reflect certain dimension of real life sex and sexuality, that's also perfectly fine. And I think that in so many ways, it's important, I, I, I would say it's really important for us to be more attuned to what elements about pornography can be applied to real life and what cannot, you know? In so many ways, because pornography, it's one of the few mediums in which that depicts sexuality in an explicit way. I think that in so many ways, there is potential to learn a lot from it, you know, in the sense like, um, when you receive, for example, sex education, and then you just see like that, that everything, it's just like going or like hiding genitals or hiding like, or like really like skipping like the most like uh, important parts or the parts that eventually you feel the most curious about. I think then you go and you see them uh, in porn, you know? So I guess there is a lot of potential there for us to be able to detect like what kind of things uh, we could eventually learn from. And it's about, I don't know, questions of safety, questions of uh, consent, 
questions of like, um, let's say sexualities that are fall outside of uh, heteronormativity, you know, uh, body diversity as well. So I think that all those elements that are present in specific kind of pornographies are already doing the job. And I think that in so many ways, it's super important just to have like more about, to talk more about this this potential and not just say like, oh, porn, it's not sex education, end of the story, because that's just not true. And many people do pornography with pretty educational purposes. So it already exists. I love that. And I think you've you've managed also to do that very specifically. I wouldn't call it porn, but please correct me if I'm wrong. But the way that the sex school hub was created, you know, in order to show things, but what they are. So you are showing the genitals because you are teaching about sex and about sexuality. So can you explore a little bit about the sex school hub, what it means and what it is? Because I found it so interesting and there's so, so many interesting contents there that I think everybody, especially ad adults that are in already in relationships and think they know everything, I think they're going to learn a thing or two. Well, Sex School Hub was uh, founded by Anarela Martinez Madrid. She's a producer and cultural manager. I am part of the core team of performers and educators. And one of the most interesting interesting aspects about sex school is that it is a platform that brings together that knowledge of sex workers of different kinds uh, di film directors that also are used to working with pornography uh, and also certified uh, sex therapists coaches and educators so with this in mind we um, the idea behind sex school is to create um, different kinds of content but mostly um, sexually explicit films that have an educational approach. In this sense, what we want to do is to show like the full picture about specific sex topics without like feeling ashamed of nudity, genitals or sexual situations. And at the same time, deliver them in ways that are approachable, in ways that, I, that are relatable, you know, and without making it sound like a that like a sex manual that it's difficult to understand or so it's more about focus on what will a real life interaction what what could a real life interaction look like so i think that applying the knowledge of of people who are specialized in sex education and putting it in the hands of uh, sex workers to perform in it, people with, who already have like the skills about uh, when it comes to negotiation, consent or, or safer sex practices and who also are not shy to, of showing it and also putting it together with the skills of um, talented film directors. Uh, in this case, Poppy Sanchez is the director. Uh, I think that's, it is possible to create uh, a product that is fresh in many ways and hopefully helpful for people who have all these questions about sex and sexuality still unanswered. I completely agree with you because I think the platform is amazing. In terms of sex education, because that's what it is, the platform is sex education for adults. Am I correct? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Do you think there should be this type of platform for children? Uh, maybe less explicit, but you know, that 
saying things by the name and showing how things should be and how people should be aware of, yes, getting pregnant. Yes, there are diseases. But yes, there's this other 90% of the sexuality, which is pleasure, which is knowing yourself, which is consent, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that there's a need for that in the market? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that sex education can be and there should be like sex education that it's age appropriate. You know, and there's no such thing as a specific age in which people can start learning about sex, because I think that children are, can be sexual in many ways. Of course, you're not going to show them the same content that you show to uh, teenagers or adults. But for example, one of the most important topics that children could learn, it's questions of consent, let's say. I think that it's a super important topic. And I think that for as long as you make things age appropriate, that makes it, that makes them understandable and so on. I think that it's incredibly important to have sex education, especially at, at, at young tender ages in which uh, kids or uh, teenagers are even more vulnerable, um, could be more vulnerable to abuse and so on. So it's just a matter of like making it uh, appropriate. It's also a matter of like demystifying things and of uh, understanding that sex education is necessary at all ages. I love what you said, especially when you're talking about demystifying things, because every time that I do a podcast and I talk to somebody that's so much more knowledgeable than I am, that's in whatever industry that it is. So if it's a therapist or a sex worker, you know, a lot of people surrounding the sexual wellness industry really showed me and, and, and made me learn that consent not only is one of the most important things, but above all, it's actually more present in every single thing and every single person, I mean, in this industry than in, in the average Joe and Jane uh, next door which is mind-boggling. Why weren't we taught about consent and what that means? Consent can be, can I kiss you? It doesn't need to be anything else than that or anything further, but why shouldn't people? That's incredible exactly. for me. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And then you realize how important that is and how like you carry all this lack of education and consent like way into, the, into your adult years and then you're not able to and then until like you start learning a little bit more about what it is and all, then you just like go back into your early lives and then you realize like all these situations that could have required um, boundaries, firm boundaries around consent. Yes, I, I remember the TEDx talk that you gave. And one of the examples that you gave was when you were filming a threesome video and how it works for the uh, sex school hub and how you stopped mm -hmm. just to have a chat, to have something to eat and to talk about consent. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We we checked in with each other. We, we just made a pause. We had some water and so on. We checked in with each other. We uh, we talked about, okay, are you still okay? We continue with this. Yes, no. How are you feeling? And so on and so forth. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting to me because even, you know, has, has a professional that knows what they're doing, you're still checking for that consent and that should be transported to real life. And you said something also on the TEDx that really stuck with me and that was sex is everywhere, yet all the conversations around this in the world are difficult. Why is that? What, what is your opinion? Why can't people talk openly about sex and about issues and explore sexuality in a healthy manner? Well, because sex is taboo at the end of the day. Like, I think sex is everywhere. Like, there's so many, we sexualize 
so many bodies. We sexualize everything, but at the same time, we, as a society, I mean, our societies, our governments, our corporations don't really don't want us to face or or have like more open conversations about sex and sexuality because in so many ways the taboo about sex fits can fit the current system of capitalism that we live in if everyone had the choice of being more free about their sexuality if everyone had the choice to be more free about what kind of how they want to live their sex lives how many people do they want to date if they want to marry if they don't want to marry like how they want to have their relationships uh if they want to have kids or no you know if everyone just like started to have like more free choices around these all these topics i think that that will in so many ways have a dent in how we understand and assume productivity you know about oh but you have to have a you have to have a job oh but you have to breathe taxpayers oh but you have to stay in wet marriage because that makes it more like productive and so on and so forth so i think that there are many underlying reasons of why sex is still a taboo you know and i think there are like there's plenty of reasons or there's plenty of like years and centuries of reinforcing these ideas about sex being something you have to be scared about, about sex being something that only serves the matters of reproduction. And let's see all these like questions about what certain ideas of the ideas of what it is to be like promiscuous or deviant are, are wrong or should not be, um, and you shouldn't do them, you know? So because of that, we're just like used to not talking about sex. And because of that, we just like missed so many conversations that could be really important on an individual level. Interesting. Your view is very interesting, especially because I haven't tied up the fact that, you know, the society is maybe heteronormative and maybe we can explain a little bit more what that means for everybody that doesn't know. But maybe society is that because society or governments have to gain with that. That's a very interesting view. Could you maybe explain a little bit better? I think you'd be better, much better than I am. What cisnormative is and what that means and why it shouldn't be? I mean, it's just what what it's usually known as uh, cis heteronormativity is this idea that makes cis people who are heterosexual, who are invested or interested in monogamous partnerships, the norm or the rule of what is normal and accepted. So that's basically it. And of course, like many rules, many society norms, many uh, even bureaucratic expectations or bureaucratic uh, rules and so on depend on this idea that you either must be cisgender, that you that you must be um, heterosexual, that you only are supposed to... Um, that you are like either single or just like in one uh, sort of relationship or in one marriage that is expected to last till the end of times. So of course, I just that's just one way of seeing the world of like perceiving yourself or of wanting to live your life. But in so many ways, like so many rules around it make it a certain norm. And if you decide to live your way differently, then you start finding many obstacles. You start finding many that you start finding out in some of the ways marginalized and affected by not choosing to be that way. 
So that's why you add like this part of normative or normativity. Talking about that in regulations, do you think that, you know, the fact that there is um, not a lack of regulation, but a struggle in regulating correctly pornography, both for creation and the distribution, uh, do you think mm -hmm. that also has to do with with how governments perceive it and, and the lack of that? Yeah, that's absolutely. I think I would say it's it's both government and corporations. And think in these ways, it goes hand in hand, because I mean, government creates the rules, and corporations are the ones that has, that give you all the infrastructure of uh, having a business or getting paid or making a living out of it. So it is absolutely and one hundred percent like how the porn industry functions these days or doesn't function. It's definitely a product of their set of rules and governor governments and corporations put in place. And I would say that in so many ways, it is highly regulated. I think that perhaps if you get like the impression that because you can get into a tube site and see lots of weird clips or like dot g films and so on you you might think that it's so like uh, anarchy and chaos and so on i think that that that's not true i think that for example when you make pornography if you want to establish yourself as a director or as a producer in pornography you really have to go through lots of uh, rules about what uh, but how to uh, make doc document your own work how to prove that the people who are like working for you are consenting people of legal age you know to pay taxes uh, but for, for example like if because your line of business is pornography and so on you have like you're also subject to eternal censorship you're also subject to eternal like sudden changes of rules you know you're also subject to payment processors and and fees for payment processes, fees for hosting, uh, for being like very, very high, you know, and you also see yourself that you can, you, that you are only allowed to exist in very specific places. So there is definitely lots of control. There is definitely lots of regulations. And, um, and yeah, and all of these, they are, they are like progressively increasing. And I think many of them are quite unfair and many of them are made in the name of like uh, protecting minors for watching content or made like also with this bias about sex and sexuality being like taboo and so on and they make our lives more difficult but more importantly they also make these courses around sex and sexuality more and more taboo. On a positive note, so we're talking about the regulations and how hard it is to, you know, talk about sexuality in, in, a, in a free way. At the same time, there's a positive side, I think, which is the fact that people are talking more about that and that there are platforms now allowing people to be more independent, uh, like OnlyFans, for example. I know you have an OnlyFans account. Yes. How do you feel that that empowers women in this, women and men, by the way, and anybody with uh, that identifies with any gender or any neutral gender how do you, how do you feel that people can be empowered by something like only onlyfans i think that onlyfans at this point it's one of the few platforms to which sex workers or people who want to work around explicit sexuality have access i think that onlyfans is a product it's capitalizing from the increasing censorship that has been going on in other platforms um for example um 
many, many years ago, Tumblr used to allow explicit content and they, they, they ban it. And now like Tumblr, it's basically death platforms. So like Patreon, for example, used to allow some explicit content and there used to be quite profitable for people who used to put their content there. But then again, because of certain uh, laws passed in the United States, they had to change their policies, you know. So many people were also left out of their income with that. Uh, some clip stores, for example, like IndieBeal, that used to be good for certain people who were selling them content, also like closed, you know. And now you are like left out to other platforms that take a, a bigger cut on your sales and so on. And of course, like not to say, for example, the rules that Facebook has around uh, anything remotely sexual or and, and in consequence, Instagram, for example, that even like bans content that it's uh, conversations that are about, um, for example, queerness and so on. It's not even about being like, uh, not even about explicit sex or anything. It's about being queer and so on. And for example, at this point, like Instagram doesn't even let you advertise your work or even talk about your work. So I think that when all like these there's like so many places that are like that have been like progressively encroaching, you know, all these conversations about sex and sexuality. And at this point, OnlyFans has been successful in being like a platform for many people to make their their lives uh, in. But that doesn't mean that it is guaranteed forever and ever that OnlyFans will remain sex worker or explicit content friendly. So, of course, definitely it's super important because in, in, especially now, like with these uh, times in which we're in the pandemic and so on, because it does like provide like an avenue for many people to profit from from uh, their explicit content and they are like tolerating lots of explicit content and so on. So that definitely it's an avenue for independence and a definitely an avenue for uh, of capitalizing, you know, on your body. But I think that as such platforms can be helpful, but they don't, the platforms in itself, they do not empower sex workers because I think that as a person, if you're, if you live from this, you, you jump from platform to platform thinking that in so many ways, your days are, could be numbered, you know, and now you're doing good, but tomorrow they can announce that they are changing their terms of service and you're out of business. You are invisible. Uh, you have to find another way. And um, unfortunately, in these times, censorship, it's increasing and increasing and increasing. Yeah, we need to change that. Definitely. We're also trying that, you know, with Pleasy Play. And we just talk about relationships and we empower couples. And we have seen bans on adverts talking yes. about how to improve a relationship yes. it's it's it's, it's mind-boggling 100 it's crazy yes for example sex school cannot advertise at all with like with any sort on social media and for example even the handle of sex school hub we could not put that on our facebook uh address because it's the word sex you cannot use the word sex at all these days it seems like the more open we are the more closed off we can also get. Yeah, absolutely. You've got so much experience. You've got so many interesting views on sexuality and on empowering people and couples and, and everybody on having a better sexuality. I would love it if you could share the three best tips for people, either single or in a relationship. How, how can they empower their own sexuality or their sexuality in a couple? It's all about building 
skills, you know. And I think that one of the most important things comes with self-knowledge, you know, getting to know how you feel about yourself, what kind of things you need, how can you feel pleasure or what kind of things work for you or what kind of things do not work for you. Uh, so in so many ways, the most important relationship we will always have is with ourselves. So the more we work on them, the more we cultivate, the more we know ourselves, it can definitely help with our relationships and stuff. So definitely that. I think also boundaries and consent, it's a very, it's a super important aspect, you know, of whether you are single or whether you are in a relationship, uh, new or long term, it's it's really important to have boundaries to once you know yourself to know exactly what kind of things you can do, what kind of things you don't want to do, what kind of things you can tolerate, what kind of things you cannot, what situations, what type of uh, you could negotiate and so on. So definitely people who have no coming into relationships without boundaries or trying or or not knowing the value of boundaries and then trying to serve to violate other people's boundaries can definitely be potentially harmful you know either for oneself or for other person's partner or or your partner and so on and i think the other skill that it's super important to build is communication I think that ever it's so it's often said you want wow communication is key communication is key communicate with your partner communicate here and there, but it is just like this that communication is just like this very massive topic you know that for which many people do not have skills or whose skills are always you can always like improve them you know. And I think that's also like another big area in which everyone can work on, whether as an individual or also as a couple, and definitely be able to uh, express what you need and how you feel, be able to listen to what other people feel and need. Uh, It's incredibly important to make the best of whatever relationship you enter or just to also be able to be more selective in a in a positive or healthy way about what kind of relationships or what kind of people you um, hook up with or relate to and so on. So as a recap, you would say one, know yourself, know your body. Yeah, self-knowledge, uh, two, boundaries, and three, communication. Amazing, so amazing. Three. <laughs> make total sense to me as a last note so something that we are very keen on is helping couples to build a better and stronger relationship I know we were talking about just now I you know the top three tips to be well with yourself and have a better sexuality do you have anything specific for couples you know how to make the relationship itself more exciting and intimate I think that it goes again like back to these three situ- like three bits you know what know what First of all, know yourself so that you know what you want, what you need. Enter, uh, communicate, you know, and enter like these communication rounds with taking into place that boundaries are important, you know. So I think that all, I mean, like these three elements just like require like lots of uh, trial and error, you know. It requires lots of patience, lots of like exercising. And so lots of like, yeah, exercising, you know, like hands on you know this is not something that you just like read about and then just like oh yeah I got it I will do it it's like 
you need to, you know, roll your sleeves and get into it. Um, I guess that for each couple, it's up to them to figure out to figure out how they would like to uh, approach it. You know, because for example, like I don't know, like intimacy can look very different for each person. You know, maybe people just really need cuddles, but for other people, they find more intimate, like a very deep conversations. You know, or like sharing other different activities or situations I, I will not be sure if there's like a very specific thing but I think that's getting yourself like deprogramming yourself from the idea that just feeling love for someone or just like feeling certain affinity with someone will solve things it's more about okay what kind of skills do I need to build what kind of like effort what kind of things we need to work on to be able to be better together and or adjust our expectations and and so on it's a big question. <laughs> no, no, but it makes total sense. And I agree with your, with your vision. Um, I just wanted to share a question that we have from one of our followers in social media. So we did nudge them saying that we were going to have a very special guest that was a porn performer and a director in this industry. Mm -hmm. and, we'd and we just said, you know, tell us what you would like to know from somebody that's an expert in the area. Interestingly enough, of course, a lot of the questions, I'm not going to tell them. They're very... You know, just weird questions mm -hmm. that uh, mm -hmm. everybody tries to get. Well, let's not say weird. Let's say quirky, I would say. Mm -hmm. But one of them actually popped up a couple of times. And that was, you know, me and my partner want to go and start a threesome. You know, what would mm -hmm. be the fundamental things that we should be thinking about before we try this? And I thought this was a very interesting question because it's very easy in the heat of the moment to try something and then regret it. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to know your tips specifically on before you do that, what you should think about, what you should talk about. We talked about consent, communication. Uh, if you could explore that as a last question, I would love it. I think the most important thing will be very clear, you know, is to be very clear about to what exactly you expect. I mean, I'm assuming, let, let's just say, for example, because that's also very important about like, first of all, make sure that both partners one that threesome because it's like the typical I, I question of like oh how can I convince my girlfriend to have a threesome with another girl that that's the when you start with how can I convince it's like okay no you are not you should not do this uh, so that doesn't sound too consensual if you have to convince someone about doing something they probably already say they might not want to so let's just assume that we are departing from the point in which both partners are really convinced that they want to have a threesome. I think that before that, it's super, I think it will be really important just to be very clear about what expectations you have with that threesome in the sense of like, not just like, oh yeah, I want to have fun and so on. I think it's super important just like to really break it down into very specific elements, you know? It's okay, I want to have, let's just say, oh, I want to have like, I want to feel pleasure, of course, but oh, I want to have like this kind of sex or I want to do this and then do that, you know. I want to be able, let's just say, to continue in communication with the third wheel or or to, to be clear about, okay, yeah, I just want it to be like a one-time off, like end of story, you know. It's to be also very clear about for where exact, and again, we go with like consented boundaries about what kind of things are both partners fine, you know, with doing or not. Let's just say like, I don't know, like one partner, it's like, okay, I want penetrative sex to be only between us two and not the third wheel, you know? So something like that. Also, like what kind of like things could even go wrong, you know? Let's talk, for example, about jealousy. 
what do we do if, for example, one of us feels jealous? What can we keep like in check with each other, you know? Safe words maybe could help? It could be like safe words, but it also could be just like taking a break, you know? It could be also just saying, you know what, I might feel jealous if this and this happens, you know? So also then you just avoid it. Um, so just like really... Yeah, like kind of specific questions and quite kind of potential scenarios, but also not take that for granted, you know, like again, you continuously check in with your partner. And also definitely questions about safer sex need to be taken into account. It's about, okay, about like what safer sex methods are you going to have at hand? Okay, it's definitely going to be condoms, it's definitely going to be gloves or lube and all these things also need to be taken into account so definitely before jumping into any sort of recent activity that we are assuming that it's like consented by both parties it's to be like super 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 exhaustive and extensive about all like these things that you need to be prepared for to be able to jump into it from a perspective that could be potentially potentially pleasurable and safe as well and that also safe also like both for the couple and also for the third person that and that could potentially enter uh, a threesome. So then you just like focus on the fun and have the least amount of surprises possible. That feedback and insights was very, very interesting because I think it can be applied to a lot of things, not just the threesome. So make sure that you talk about it, that you know what you're expecting, that you have actual consent for what's going on and you try and figure it out if something goes wrong, what could it be and what we could be doing? I love that. Mm -hmm. Lena, I've loved your view and I've learned so much with you, not just from this call, but of course, from everything that you do on social media. So where can people find you and know more about everything that you talk about? At the moment, I have my social media channels. Um, it's um, either twitter.com or instagram.com or onlyfans.com slash Lena Bembet all together, L-I-N-A-B-E-M-B-E. -E. Uh, so yeah, you can find me, uh, yeah, both on uh, Twitter, Instagram for the usual stuff, but like the most important bits are definitely on OnlyFans. And the content is pretty good on the social medias that I have access to. So yes, give a follow to Lena, you'll learn a lot. And above all, you'll be more open to discussing consent, hopefully and enjoying a better and more open relationship, whatever that means and feels for you and your relationship. <laughs> Thanks so much, Lena. It's been a pleasure. I've loved talking to you. Thank you so much. It was fun. And that was Intimacy Play. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out more about Pleasy and how we can take your relationship to the next level, visit pleasyplay.com. Then also make sure to search for Intimacy Play in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Pleasy, thank you for listening.